Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special reboot episode of this podcast. I'm bringing back my very first guest that I ever had, uh, Bill Swigert, who many of you may know from the Birmingham, New York, and many other uh, film markets. Bill is a talented director of photography who has worked on lots of feature films, television series, reality shows. If it exists, he's done it in some form. How are things in Baltimore? Things are crazy. Um, so I moved up here August of last year. Uh, uh-huh. I got married in October. I was working news when I first moved up here. Uh, I learned very quickly that news is not for me. It oh, requires yeah. Yeah. a very hard nose. Like, you know, you got to kind of be a bit of a tough guy to do news. Um, long hours, very rough, dealing with some very rough characters. Uh, I got beat up and had a microphone stolen. Oh, had some other things happen. Yeah, no. It was crazy. Um, got out of news, got on with an ad agency, and I've been doing uh, government contracting ads ever since then. Good deal. Well, yeah, because yeah, news is for a, a very specific type, like you said, a yes. specific brand of person you're dealing with. Uh, you, you've either got to be somebody who's just really hungry for a story, right? or right. you've got to be somebody who is like, I don't know how to describe it, but it's almost like the Teamster type of mentality where you're there to pull a paycheck, but you're also a little bit on the rougher side. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, but, yeah, how about you? Uh, I see that you've got The Fishmonger. Uh, I think that's the name of it, right? Yes, yeah, season two yeah. is out. That's that's exciting. And we're going to – we just finished uh, – wrapped shooting season two recently. Uh, we, we've got another show that, that they're producing called Ranch America. Okay, okay. Uh, about, like, cattle, 80% of our beef comes from small family-owned ranches. Right, not the big giant whatevers, uh, and half those are owned by women, and most of those folks, you know, work day jobs. So, <laughs> it's it's all about you know, it's the sa- same kind of uh, uh, template as the fishmonger. It's like people do this because they really want to, right? People go out on a boat for two months and catch fish because they really want to. Mm-hmm. The same thing with running a ranch. People love love raising cattle and love you know being cowboys and cowgirls and all of that. So that's and we're going to be shooting that anamorphic. Wow. Okay. Are you doing, are you doing Atlas? Or are you doing Kawa or Siriu or what? What's uh, what? Probably Siriu just because of, oh, well, just because of cost. And that's okay. one of those things they, they want it to look like uh, uh, the, the uh, network we're doing it for owns the syndication rights to Longmire and, uh, okay. and they're going to get Yellowstone. So they want it. And it's like, oh, wow. You know, I, I keep saying add zeros to the budget. But, yeah. you know, it, it's it's big country. So we're going to be shooting. We're, we're shooting. Uh, we're in the Sony system, the FX6 and FX3s and 9s and and uh, that world. Um, and so they uh, they do na- native anamorphic uh, and uh, and their autofocus is kind of amazing. I never thought I'd say that, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> for, for uh, you know, a, a small non-narrative uh show like that with a small crew uh it's kind of remarkable so yeah how you liking the sony's um i'm still running an fs7 i haven't i've rented an fx9 for one bigger project but i've yet to like get into that world yet they're nice uh uh, it's it's like i tell everybody you know you can't get a bad camera nowadays um um i wasn't a big fan at first because to me sony's always had a little bit of a crunchy video look, mm-hmm. but uh, we're, we're figuring out how to make it less crunchy and less video looking because there's so much data to work with. Are you shooting in log or are you doing Cinetone? We're shooting in log. Okay, and then, good. 
and putting a, a, a grade on it in post. And, uh, and, and of course, the challenge with that is by the time we get to post, they're under a time crunch. Mm-hmm. So we've got to figure out uh, a, a better workflow and, and uh, basically try and, and uh, burn in a LUT as we go. Have you, have you looked into ACES at all, like the, the Academy color encoding system? Because it's meant to be point to point so that you've got the same encoding in camera that you would use in post. That way it's all like snappy. Uh, we have, but we haven't, we haven't played with it. Gotcha. Okay. If you want to continue some stuff on that. Uh, yeah, if you don't mind, that would be great. Sure. Uh, you know, uh, sure. they're all, they're all looking at me to figure out a way. To make it <laughs> amazing. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. Okay. Um, so most of your work, the, the, since the pandemic started has been these reality shows telling stories about, you know, the, the fishmonger, real people in the, the fishing industry. And now this farm show, anything on the narrative front? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, about half of my uh, work has been um, low-budget features. Okay. Actually, low-budget features saved my butt during the pandemic uh, wow. because, uh, yeah, we, we moved ahead uh, and kept shooting. I've got a Rust Belt Driller is out now. It's on. Uh, it's available for sale in Walmart, and it's uh, you can watch it on Tubi um, okay. and I think Amazon Prime. Uh, that and, of course, Rust Belt Driller, which I, I hope you're going to be involved with. You mean uh, Survivor Girls? Sorry, Survivor Girls. Yeah, <laughs> Survivor Girls is still dealing with post. I don't know exactly what keeps delaying it moving to the next step. I'm assuming that it's it's you know the the it, it's Daniel Bamberg's baby at this point, and I'm I'm assuming that's why it's taken a bit of trying to make it you know exactly the way that he wants it. And until yeah. Yeah. yeah, this is my first time working with Bamberg. He seems to be great at everything that he's doing. So it's just it's all in his hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I really like working with him. Uh, and, and Survivor Girls is going to be a, a really interesting project, but I just wish it would get done. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In um, fact, I shot, a, I shot a feature that he was a co-producer, okay. uh, A Burrowing Heart. We shot it on the red. Um, gotcha. And that was, uh, it's another interesting feature that if they finish editing it, it'll, it, we've got it, all, <laughs> the, all the pieces and parts are there, you know? Yeah. Like finish that. And that that's why I, I use Rust Belt Driller as uh, uh, an example to all the other indie filmmakers that I work with. I said, look, you can do it for this budget level. It's actually out. Yes, people are actually seeing it. Um, I, I believe that, that Survivor Girls is going to be pretty good from everything that I've, I've talked with Daniel about and everything that I've, I've seen um, that he's shown. How many times did they go back and try and re-edit Blade Runner? You know? Yeah, I mean, there's like, what, six versions of that film now? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And, um, uh, I'm just happy that we shot uh, both Survivor Girls and uh, Rust Belt Driller on the Pocket 4K. Um, yeah, and- those Pockets are I, – I still – I have so many mixed feelings because mine crapped out on me eventually. And and I love the image quality for the price. Uh-huh. I wish they were a little bit more durable. Right. Well, and that's, that, that's what I tell people. I said, look, guys, every time a $50,000 camera is going to outperform a $2,000 camera every single time. But – at that price point, the cameras are are disposable. Yeah, they they really are. In fact, I've got I've got a uh, I'm shooting a documentary out of country later this year on the on the Pocket Six K, and I've got to bring a Pocket Four K as a backup camera. Um, Did you ever play around with any of the Ursas? Because like I, before I got the FS Seven, I was interested in getting one of the Ursas, either the Four Point Six K or the Twelve K. Yeah. But just my my experience with like reliability issues and then Blackmagic's repair services not exactly being the most uh, consumer right. friendly, it, it kind of pushed me away from that. And I'm I'm trying to find other people who've used the Ursa to get a sense of like is that different or is it the same spiel? 
Uh, you know, I, that's a, a good question. I speak regularly with a nurse of the 4.6K. A, a local uh, acting school has got one. Uh, and they, they do productions on and they they got it so they could do productions on a, a digital cinema camera so that their students would have something to show. It looks like, you know, looks like it doesn't look like a, a home movie. Um, and so far, knock on wood, uh, it's been it's been dependable. But I can tell by some of the connectors, I've had issues with connectors failing on that. And again, it's a it's what a five thousand dollar camera. I think so. Yeah. Yes. Well, that just, just for the brain, you know, with battery mount plus shoulder, right, right. Or, it's like probably closer to eight. Sure. Everything adds up quickly. <clears throat> As a red owner, I can tell you that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I got out of the red ecosystem. I will rent reds cause I love them, but I will never yeah. own another one. It's no, like only, it's like owning a Corvette, you know, like every yeah. so often you're having to spend 500 bucks. Right. If, yeah. If you, if you race every weekend, yes. But if you don't race every weekend, go rent it. Yeah. That, yeah. That's what I tell people too. It's like what, uh, what camera, what is it? Go rent it. How, how many days a year are you going to use it? Do, mm-hmm. do the number math, do, break it down. Um, is it handy to be able to go grab it and go shoot something? You bet. But you're paying for that. Every time you go out the door with a camera, you're paying for it. So. Well, that's why I'm, I'm so excited for like the FX six, because the FX six is halfway between it's about the same price point as the Ursa, but it's a complete package. You know, you get everything in the box except for lens uh-huh. and, and it's got, from what I've seen, I mean, yeah, you know, it doesn't do raw without having external recorder, but it, it still has about the same quality in S-Log3 as, say, you know, uh, a Redwood whenever it's in, uh, you know, Redlog film or even some of the lower end Alexas, like the older ones, like the XT, you can match pretty easily. And so that's to me is the exciting point is that, you know, we're getting like mid-tier, you know, prosumer level gear that is now matching what pro gear was 10 years ago. Right. Very much so. And yeah, that's, and that's the stuff that finally weaned everybody off film. So I'm I'm personally happy and excited that like we're getting to the point that you can for a decent budget do film quality video now. Yes, yeah, the six is really nice. We've got one on on Fishmonger, and uh, I I throw it on a gimbal pretty regularly, and because it, it it is tiny, uh, mm-hmm. but the, the images it makes are great, and it's back ordered for what like the next eighteen months. Yeah, uh, that's the whole reason I bought the seven because I had an FX six yeah. ordered since October of last year, and I was right. told they won't get them in until December of this year. So I just canceled it and bought the FS seven because I needed <laughs> something now. Right? Yeah, and the seven looks really nice. That, that's what started the uh, yeah it, uh, the fishmonger world was the seven. It's just it's got some quirks to it that I've never liked. The high ISO means whenever you're shooting in daylight, you're always having to crank the ND, which causes some problems because right. The the Exmor sensors that Sony has, they're a little bit sensitive in the red channel, the infrared. So the more you crank the ND, the more magenta red tones get. And it's, right. yeah, right. it's annoying. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. How, how come they don't make perfect cameras? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like I keep looking at the six and the nine and they're, they're pretty close to what I'd consider perfect. You know, low base ISO, it's like 800 full frame and it's got, you know, the 12 bit S log now instead of it just being 10 bit. So. Yeah, more bits or better. Yeah. yeah, we use we have and we have two of the threes. Okay, uh, they're great. How are those? Um, I know they're like the DSLR type body. Right, they're they're really nice. Uh, of course, the screen is hard to see in the daytime, okay. but it, it, it's it's uh, orientable, uh, which is nice. Uh, the image quality is is really nice, um, uh, and they're they're so freaking small. You know, when we, when we go uh, into a fish packing plant, for example, uh, that those are the cameras we carry. Awesome. Um, when, when we do a sit down interview, we're using the sixes and the nines uh, and, and sometimes the three, you know, we, we use what we have with us because we are, of course, are traveling 
all this stuff too. So, do the the threes have uh, XLR input? Are they full size or are they micro? Uh, you know, I can look that up. Yeah, I I don't even know because what how we do audio on that show you'll appreciate, and by appreciate I mean you probably really hate. Yeah, <laughs> we, uh, we used to. Uh, every person who's talking has got an onboard personal recorder, oh, and all boy. the time code is set to time of day. Yeah, <laughs> so we've got a day's worth of audio, and it's not even tentacle sync. It's just time of day. Just time of day. Yeah. Oh man. And uh, it works really well. Really. I I, I thought. When when they I, when they first told me about that, I thought that sounds like a nightmare. And they said it sounds like it, but it's not, because the person, it's not like we're going in and grabbing. Oh, there's there's a ten second snippet at hour four. Uh uh-uh. uh. There's there's, he's talking to the guy at the lab lobster trap for for three minutes, mm-hmm. and then two hours later he's you know we'll, we'll stop it of course you know if we know we're traveling or something, but then three hours later he's talking to a guy at a restaurant. And then an hour later, he's talking to a gal uh, at a food cart. So it's not like there are 25 things during the day. There are two or three things during the day. Wow. And we and we almost never have that amazing golden moment, right, where we're, we're somewhere and, oh, an amazing thing happens. That that does happen, but it's far and few between. And mm-hmm. so and so in post, um, uh, you know, we know that they're they're guided by the video. Like okay. Here we we've got we've got the guy at, at, at Nick's uh, Lobster Shack from two p.m. to three thirty p.m. So everybody knows where to go find the audio, uh, and so that works. But we've got a uh, we've got shotguns on the threes, so that if if we find a guy on the street, we get up re, you know two two and a half three feet away from the person talking on the street, so the shotgun picks up him. And, uh, and our our host, our Tommy Gomes, has got the uh, his lav on. Okay. Just to answer my own question, if anybody listening is curious, I looked it up. There's a, a an attachment that comes with it. Um, so I, I didn't realize that it came with a top handle. But the FX3 has a top handle that comes in the box, and then there's an attachment to it that's a preamp that you can run XLR into, yes. and then that connects that's the hot shoe into the camera. Right. That that's how we use these shotguns. <clears throat> okay. Top handle. Yeah. I didn't realize it was a Sony. Uh, product. I thought it was an aftermarket product. No, it, it comes in the box. That's very cool. That's that's neat. Yeah, I, I love Sony's whole like everything in the box mentality. Yeah, um, yeah. not not to harp on them because you know they, they the cameras do have some issues on the older ones. I I personally haven't used enough of like the nine and six to know with them, but you know, I, I they're very usable and they're very durable. Yes, very much so. <laughs> and the um, the three's got the built-in image stabilization, which is nice. And we we put a it does not have a built-in ND. They had to choose apparently, ah. and so we we throw a variable. I throw a variable ND on on front of the lens. Is so, is the stabilization sensor based or like is it is it lens based or it's sensor, sensor based. based? Okay, sensor based. I believe it's sensor based. Yeah. Okay, it's always been wild to me. It's like just on a swivel. I know. Yeah. I know. It's, 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 it's dark sorcery. And yeah. Between that and the, and the autofocus is like what? <laughs> you live in the future. <laughs> Gotcha. Well, it sounds like you've been having a lot of fun on these projects. Yeah. The nice thing about the, the fishmonger project is we, we all know each other. We're all, you know, I've been working together with the, with uh, the producer and, uh, and the director for 20 some years. Uh, and then Tommy's a super nice guy and we get an air uh, of uh, the corporate version of an Airbnb VRBO or whatever. Uh, and we, when we stay that we go to like we were in Boston for a week and then Cape May, New Jersey, uh, we were in South Alabama, so we will we'll get a house. And the nice thing about having a house is 
of course, the, the main producer is an amazing chef. He has his own restaurant. Wow. So one, night, one night a week he cooks for us and it's amazing. Uh, and then we have, we can charge our batteries and download the footage and talk about what did and did not work and everything all in a, in a relaxed setting. So we're not, you know, going to, going to, from hotel room to hotel room. Do you have that battery? Can I have that card? That kind of thing. And I get to um, uh, play with my drone too. We get drone shots on this, which is, which is fun. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm going to take like a moment to, to break away from that. One of the, the main reasons I wanted to bring you back for the podcast is because you were the first podcast guest that I had whenever I started this thing up. Right. Yeah. All the way back in 2017. Uh-huh. Um. I consider the podcast that I started and having you on to be like the launch of this phase of my career. So I, I, I wanted to thank you for that because it, it kind of made the pathway to where I am right now. Very oh, great. possible. I, I'm, I'm glad I could be of service. <laughs> um, because through that, I met uh, Brian White and Sean Wells and a bunch of other people who I've, you know, collaborated with, who put me in contact with people that, you know, had me my full-time job down in Dothan, who've, you know, gotten me work up here in Maryland. So it's, it, yeah, that, that did a lot for me. Great. Yeah, it's, it's a big old uh, who do you know network. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, is there any, any topics you'd like to speak about or uh, would you like to just roll into like a, a quick Q and a then? Uh, you know, um, the indie feature, the uh, uh, Rust Belt Driller, the, the thing I want to say about that is uh, I've, wor- I've worked with those guys, you know, on half a dozen projects before. And the nice thing about that, that project, uh, it was selected by uh, Dances with Films in Los Angeles to be the opening night movie of their midnight movie session, basically a monster movie, scary movies. So it premiered at Grauman's Chinese Theater. Wow. I got to walk on the red carpet. And then the next day we had the filmmakers meeting at the Roosevelt Hotel across the street where the the Academy Awards started. And it was, it was a Hollywood moment. We're walking around going, (laughs) we're in, and and the the head of the festival, uh, you know, was chatting with us. uh, And uh, it, it was, it was, it was remarkable and amazing because uh, the film was a very small budget uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, it was, you know, a very limited, everything about it was limited. Right. And then you can see, you can see that when, when you watch it, you know, but you know, it look it looks good. Some of the, some of the choices in the color grade, I wasn't crazy about, but it overall looks good and it sounds good and it, and it has a beginning, middle and an end. And it's, it looks and feels like a movie and uh, we got good reviews uh, and, premiered in, in LA. So those things do happen. Gotcha. Yeah. Without spending a million dollars. Honestly, that's something that I I've been doing a lot of research into. And it seems like there was an era in the late eighties and early nineties where you could do a low budget, almost no budget film and get it picked up and distributed and have that Hollywood experience and make a career off it. I don't know what happened in the mid two thousands, but around 2005, that just kind of stopped. And I'm, I'm hoping it comes back somehow. Yeah, I, I do too. Because the, uh, uh, what what stopped is the 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 money uh, part of the equation stopped. Uh, I don't know if it was because of streaming, but I'm thinking it's because of, of st- the availability of streaming and how that changed the uh, the financial market. Because even though Rust Belt Driller is out, it's going to be a while before it makes its money back. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's not. People weren't there handing out. We had offers for the movie at the film festival, which is you know the origins of festivals were literally. For people shopping for films, right? 
now uh, everybody and their brother-in-law has got the, uh, you know, Long Island Fish Festival, Film Festival and Fish Fry, uh, and which is nice for the town, right? But it's not, it doesn't help the filmmaker sell the film. Mm-hmm. So that's, um, uh, that's, that's a bit, a bit worrying. But uh, yeah, so we had offers, but nobody was writing a check. Gotcha. We'll, we'll put it out there and, you know, and, and you know, get it in places, but, it, but the money's going to trickle in. And, and you will make your money back, but it'll take, it'll take. So a I've got a couple of friends that work in marketing for video games. And I've always wondered if this approach could ever work for films and that's using influencers and people who do reviews and people who, you know, are already on online with a huge following as a way to promote your product and then get, you know, an audience built from that. Yes. I have worked on several films with people like that. And so far it hasn't translated into sales. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And I've, I've seen, I've seen uh, directors wanting to cast people, cast a person or two in the film who has X number of followers. Well, a new, there's a new uh, next next uh, Netflix film bubble. Have you, okay. have you, it's really funny. It's about making a film. Uh, Judd Apatow, I believe directed it, um, produced it for sure. It's about making a film in a, in a COVID bubble. And it's, and one of the main characters in the film is in the film because they have, you know, 4 million followers on TikTok or whatever. Mm. Um, and I, I wouldn't necessarily put them, my, my perspective is I wouldn't necessarily put them in the film, but just have them talk about it and promote it. But I yeah, that, that very well may be a way to do it because it's like, it's like, uh, to me, uh, it's like promoting an indie rock band from, from 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. You make three fans a night and you, you yeah. travel the country for two years. Now you've got a fan base. It's not very big, but it's a fan base. And, and, and as, yeah, it's, as you say, nowadays, um, if it's like the, the, you know, the Oprah book club, uh, mm-hmm. if somebody online that has a lot of followers is talking about it, it's like, Oh, okay. I'll go, I'll go check that out. Cause people are always looking for the next, next thing to watch. Yeah. I mean, it almost makes me wish that we had a, like you said, a book club, like a film club that was this big online community of people just making recommendations. Yeah. Cause it's, it's, kind of hits on a thing where I was talking about, you know, back in the day, you could get things released. The The curation of content is a double-edged sword. Right. And that is that if you don't make the cut, you could have something that's amazing that'll never see the light of day. But if you do make the cut, even if it's terrible, it could make a ton of money. And without that curation of content, now that everything's kind of free for all, I feel like you lose that. And so now it's just every man for himself. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> very much so. And I, I watch a lot of indie horror on on netflix and on amazon prime and i, I can tell and, and <laughs> my significant other is, is a, a harsh critic of of writing you can tell in the first three minutes if the writing is any good mm. you, you can you can you just can tell and it, you know even if this even it, if everything else is good and interesting if the writing's not good i'm, I'm not going to watch it mm. you know i just, you know i've got a finite amount of time to watch things yeah. All right. Uh, so question and answer segment. This is a new thing that I'm adding to the podcast. Okay. It's more of a uh, get to know somebody a little bit deeper. Um, to begin with, uh, what was the first film that you worked on? Uh, Secrets of the Phantom Caverns, 1984, 82. It's been a long time ago. Uh, it, it literally came to town and uh, I was a grip on it and I didn't know I, I knew zero about gripping. And boy, did I, that was at a crash course because that was uh, shot in 35 millimeter film. Uh, one of my first jobs was leveling the camera with a Mitchell plate. So there was, there was no ball head. 
on a camera weight, a hundred pounds. And you're having to just like ever so often turn that little knob to make it. <laughs> I make damn sure it was tight. Yeah. It was yeah. Airy BL3, I believe. Um, uh, and, and that, uh, I was hooked because at, at that point in time, uh, I, I in no way ever considered the possibility of me becoming a DP. I'd been a photographer since I was a kid and I, I was always fascinated by lighting. And so that was, I was, um, more, more interested in the lighting side of things than the camera side of things. And then as, as the technology advanced, I was able to, uh, you know, do both. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, do you have any formal education in this or is it, are you all like self-taught through experience? Mostly self-taught. I, uh, took photography classes in, in college and some painting classes. Uh, and I learned more, uh, from painting from art classes than from photography classes because, uh, and for physics, understanding the, the physics of light uh, is, is a big help. I've got a friend of mine who's a grip, who's got the inverse square law tattooed on his arm. So that if anybody, anybody wonders why we're putting the light 60 feet away, he can, he can show them the inverse square law. So uh, I, I do have a, a basis uh, in that, but, but uh, again, I said that the, the, the art class taught me more about filmmaking than uh, photography classes. And in those days when you went to, there was the only schools that had film programs were, you know, USC and NYU. And there was no way I was going to make it into that. Uh, uh, so I learned a lot uh, working with a local production company, Kudzu Productions. They produced army training films and these guys knew how to make films. Uh, I, I heard they, they, they're looking at retiring or something. They sold their building. Uh, they're they're getting on up there in age now. Uh, matter of fact, I, I worked with Mac uh, just a couple of weeks ago, but it's one of those things. It's like a reflex. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, um, uh, but they 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 taught me the nuts and bolts of filmmaking. Okay, you know, in in the days of film, we were making a training film, but by God, it was it was sixteen millimeter film, and uh, you had. And I feel naked. I still feel naked without a light meter. You know, checking checking everything. That and uh, I was a huge comic book fan as a kid, and what I did not realize is I was looking at storyboards. Mm. I I grew up with 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 that visual sense, without knowing it. Uh, it's the same way in um, in primary education in Japan. Kid, a lot of uh, a lot kids are t- are taught design, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> I never had a design class in uh, junior high or high school. Uh, and, and, and to be fair, I had some art classes, but, but reading uh, uh, comic books, especially uh, Jack Kirby. Uh, and then before that, even a uh, Windsor McKay from the turn of the last century, uh, a little Nemo in slumberland, uh, um, amazing dynamic uh, framing and visuals uh, in a frame. And uh, th- that, that was my, my training and framing without, without even thinking about it. And then go forward to making uh, army training films with kudzu. Uh, those guys, uh, you, you know, what doesn't work. You learn very quickly what does and does not work in a scene. And that's the thing I run into with um, a lot of first time filmmakers uh, or folks that, you know, oh, I'm going to make a film. Let's have the camera fly in from space and twirl down an elevator. Sh-. It's like, oh, hang on now, buddy. Right. Yeah, hang you on. How you're going to actually make that have continuity. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, like, you know, and, and, and again, that, that I think a lot of that's from the, the world of video games. It's like, we can put a camera on a drone and fly it around, but, you know, are you telling the story? 
Is yeah. that important to the story? Well, it, it's this is going to be a weird gripe coming from me because I have like no real credits under my name as a DOP. Just a couple of short films that nobody's ever heard of. But um, I dislike the way that a lot of modern films, even high budget, well made films, are always moving the camera because it, it you lose a sense of space from that. Well, space and uh, 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 time to breathe. Yeah, you know, it's like uh, you know because you you the, the the actors are moving right you don't you don't need to move the camera every every two seconds you know? like, yeah i'm, I'm trying I'm, to remember what film it was i think it was one of the the marvel films like uh civil war or something and they're just sitting at a diner having a conversation and the camera's just like boom always moving around them and doing these quick cuts like it's you know some kind of action scene but they're just having a casual conversation and it's it's like you know you you get no sense of setting you get no sense of emotion you get no sense of anything it just it's just in your face the whole time. Yeah, yeah, and I and I'm um, I'm a fan, a big fan of moving the camera when it's called for. And um, Rust Belt Driller is a and, and well, Survivor Girls you'll see is the same. Mm-hmm. The both directors uh, understood that, and and uh, just as importantly, we're limited by time and, and budget. Like yeah. so we, the time the Let's let's pick our, our moves carefully because we only have X amount, you know, finite number of resources here. Well, that's that's one of the things that I find fascinating about this level of filmmaking versus like the, the really big budget Hollywood pictures these days is the move to digital has allowed a lot of excess and a lot of sloppiness on the Hollywood level because they have the money to just go back and reshoot or, you know, shoot like an entire day for one blocking. Yeah. But on this level, you don't. So you have more in common with the days of film where every minute is, you know, money spent, every second right. is money spent. Yep. And you're having to do like, you know, tight ratios of like three to one to five to one. Very much so. Yeah, very much so. <coughs> and the other thing about um, uh, about the days of, of, of big heavy cameras and having to put up a, a Fisher 10 for a, a move is the deliberateness mm-hmm. of it all. And I learned that from large format photography. Uh, it's it's the exact opposite of digital. It's like okay, you've got you've got a finite number of shots and a finite amount of time, and the light is changing. What what is the best use of the time that we have to capture this whatever you're trying to capture this scene? Um, and so yeah, I, I I work with people that uh, I, uh, who is it? Scorsese calls it dump truck filmmaking, where you, mm-hmm. you 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 shoot everything from five angles. It's like well, you don't know what you're doing if you're doing that. Uh, I, I was on a project where a guy, um, we shot an empty chair for a good 90 seconds before the person sat in it. And it's like, why? You know, there's, you're not adding to the, there's not a dramatic moment of that this chair needs to, to see, to be seen empty, right? It's the person sitting in the chair is all we need. So you're, you're, you're burning money is what you're doing. You're putting a little pile of money and you're burning it. And, and then, then on the opposite end, sorry for, for interrupting because okay. I'm, I'm trying to also hit like a noon ish or at least right after noon deadline on this. Cause I got a, a meeting for work, but okay. Um, one of the other things that I want to get your opinion on are the opposite end directors who kind of push production to just like rush through things and first take there. I was just like, yeah, it's good. Let's print. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like you, like you said, the, the double-edged sword thing, you only need one good take. Uh, but, uh, and I, I've been on, you know, especially, uh, when there's a crunch, the actor's like, I, I need another one. It's like, do we, you know, you know, do we have time for another one? Because what usually happens 
on a on a small, especially a small project, is the time you spend talking about whether you need it can be spent doing it over. Because yeah. you know, you're not talking about an eight minute long scene, right? We're talking about a minute and a half long scene. So let's let's just roll again. Let's go again, guys. It does doesn't take long to to re roll. Yeah. So um, yeah, and we uh, we ran into that with on um, uh, Lou Simon is a, a director I've worked with a couple of times on feature, on red features. <clears throat> excuse me and we uh she is one of those people that okay we got it let's go and a couple of times the actor was like we really like one more it's like lou we got enough time let's do it right so i'm you know uh, i'm on the, on the side of the actor uh as opposed to i, I work on projects with uh, like i said with an acting school and they, and they, they want you know seven takes of everything and it's like mm-hmm. okay well this this is literally school yeah well you can go back and go okay your, your seventh performance is that is it better then your second performance, it might be. I know that's that that that's literally a school situation. Yeah, that's, that's I mean that would that would make more sense than any of the other scenarios because you are still trying to teach people, and if you right. have the 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 more references, the more you can pick up in subtle differences. Right. Yeah. In fact, I worked with the local university on a project. They hired me to be DP on it to show the kids, uh, the kids, the college students. Uh, everybody looks like kids now. I'm old. Um, to show the college students what a production is like. And it's the same kind of thing. They hired local actors uh, and they're all pretty solid. So it's like, like we're doing the third take, not because we don't have it. We're mm-hmm. doing the third take because, you know, the boom was in the shot or the light was, you know, so, again, it's school. We're learning. You're learning. Uh, hopefully I'm teaching something. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, this has been this has been a great conversation. Thank you again for hopping on, and thank you again for being on the first one. Um, oh, you bet, uh, you bet. Yeah, I apologize again for missing the <laughs> beginning of it. Hang on one second. I got a message that came. All right. Um, yeah, no, I, I there there's a lot of people that have helped me to this point, either intentionally or unintentionally, you know. And and there's no way I could ever repay anybody, but I just want to bring attention to that fact. So. Oh yeah, well that's that's how this how this works. You know that's. That's that's quite literally how the business uh, operates, which which is kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, one of the guys, the, uh, the camera guys on Rust Belt Driller, uh, was a, a a film student, which always makes me cringe in terror when when they say we've got a film student to help you because oftentimes these people don't know anything about anything, right? Because they're a student. This guy uh, not only knew what was going on, uh, had a good head on his shoulders, and was was a, a very capable camera op. So we were able to split off into two units and shoot. Um, so that was that was nice. And he's gone on to to do other things, which is great. Gotcha. Well, thank you again. Uh, I think this is going to be a wrap up. OK, uh, I'll have to check out Rust Belt Driller this weekend. And uh, I, I look forward to seeing how things go with your uh, future endeavors. Great. Thank you so much. All righty. This podcast is a production of Billy Causey Jr. That is me. I am here to just talk shop or about life or about anything interesting in the arts, filmmaking, uh, any any field that you, you um, can imagine that deals with creative people. If you are interested in uh, being a, a member or guest on this podcast, please feel free to reach out to me at uh, photobycausey at gmail.com. Thank you.